0: Grace, how we doing? All right. I can I can accept that. You guys were way quicker on that than the last service. So uh, I love it. I love it. Well, hey, happy Sunday. Good morning. I'm so glad you're here. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. And whether you're in the room with us this morning or online, uh, thanks for joining us and thanks for being a part of what God is doing here at, at Grace and Beyond. Um See, today we we have a a lot that we're covering. We're we're covering uh, Mark 630 through Mark 830. And uh, I'm going to walk us through a few different stories. But uh, before we get there, uh, we're we're in this series called Along the Way. and, And what we're doing is we're seeing some different ways that Jesus encountered people. And, and though Mark is, is one of the shortest gospels of the four gospel writers, uh, what, what Mark does is profound, is, is he highlights some of the most intentional moments of Jesus. In fact, there's a couple stories, uh, one of them we'll hit today, that, uh, that, that only Mark identifies, none of the other gospel writers do. And, and so it, it's pretty profound that he sees this intentionality of, of Jesus. But our goal in going through this book is, is pretty simple. You see, we want to uh, learn the words of Jesus. We want to then live the ways of Jesus so that we can then love like Jesus. Yeah. And, and this is because this, this is part of what it looks like to, to be a follower of Jesus. And so if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, like, like there, there's some standards there, yeah. right? There, there's a standard to love, and it looks like Jesus, Right? And so, so we're going to lean into a little bit of this today. And, and uh, with that in mind, what, what it looks like to identify some places in our hearts that can prevent us or catalyze us into some of that. So uh, do this with me. Would you pray with me? We'll ask the Holy Spirit to be with us this morning and uh, help us make sense of some of this madness. All right? Hey, Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for today and for the joy and honor of getting to bring you praise. Lord God, as we uh, open Your Word, we ask uh, and, and trust that You would speak to us, Lord. Lord, we're we're open, we're we're receptive, we're we're ready to hear, Lord. No matter what we came in the doors with, Lord, would You help us surrender those things right now, Lord? If we have to pick them back up later, that's okay. But Lord, would You give us these next few moments uh, to just encounter You, and sit with You, uh, Lord? As You You help us see, know, and understand what it is You have to say to us this morning in Jesus name amen amen all right so like, like I said we're in Mark six thirty through eight uh, we're, we're gonna start in chapter 7 though we're gonna go back and then we're gonna fly forward okay so so giddy up if you have a, a bible busted out you're gonna want that all right and um I, we'll get started chapter 7 verse 1 Uh, we come into this story uh, of the Pharisees accusing uh, and and getting all up in arms with the disciples and Jesus for uh, them uh, not practicing what they think is ceremonial washing. And and what what their hiccup is, is that it's not uh, out of hygiene or law, it's actually all out of tradition. I want you to see this. He says, now when the Pharisees gathered to him, with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. The story continues with with Jesus then rebuking the the Pharisees and the scribe for honoring actually tradition over commandment, and, and, and he quotes Isaiah saying this in verse uh, six through eight. He says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And Jesus continues with with calling out the Pharisees in in their hypocrisy because uh, at the end of the day, they were breaking the law themselves and, and rejecting their own families and the commandments of God in order to hold to their traditions. We know there's a problem when tradition takes a place of truth. There's a problem when tradition takes place of truth. You see, what was initially a a, a good and beautiful thing uh, of the Jews being reminded of this this washing, it was a reminder of of their elect belonging to God. But it became a, a, a defiled ritual in and of itself. I propose that this issue here is actually bigger than tradition. It's bigger than what we see at face value. And we want to explore that. Jesus tells us that the thing that we ultimately need to explore is our own hearts. Because our hearts are far from him. So we're going to wrestle with that. Is that cool? Can we wrestle with our hearts? Is that okay? Okay. Check out uh, verse 14, chapter 7. And he, Jesus, called the people to him again and said to him, hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. That is, it's, a, by the way, a moral sense. So he's not talking about your, your physical cleanliness, all right. He's talking about this moral, moral sense of, of defilement. Nothing outside a person uh, by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. It starts in our hearts, not our stomachs. If it started in my stomach, well, I, I'm always hungry. But I, I'd be in trouble because my stomach le- would lead me astray. He says, from within, verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, Sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness—all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. What Jesus is ultimately getting out is this idea: that what's within you is far more important than what's outside of you. What's within you is far more important than what's outside of you. Not to neglect what's outside of you—you want to pay attention to some of that—but what's what's within you matters. Why? Because the epicenter of our, of our lives is our hearts. Solomon in Proverbs 4 gives us this uh, picture, but he also gives us to uh, us as an encouragement. He says, guard your hearts, for from it flows the wellspring of life. There's, there's life that happens. There, there's, there's something that, that happens that ushers from within us and it flows out of us. And if we set aside the biological, uh, literary, and and philosophical definitions, uh, according to Scripture, our hearts is the place that our emotions and our desires reside. It's where understanding and reasoning develops. but, But it's also where elements of our faith and our beliefs are produced. But in its natural condition, here's the catch. Our hearts are deceitful and evil. From birth, we are tainted by sin, and our lives, over the course of our lives, if we're not careful, we can become disillusioned by it. That's why Jeremiah reminds us that the heart is deceitful above all things. Beyond cure, who can cure it? If we just stopped there, we would have no hope. But he continues that verse. He says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to to his deeds If you hear anything, here's what I want you to, to, to capture real quick, is that God knows your heart. God knows what's going on in your world. God knows the condition of your heart. He, he knows the challenges that you face. He knows the, the, the things that plague and weigh you down. He, he knows the things that give you joy as well. He, he knows what's in here, but he also knows what's outside of you. And he's the one who sees what's in you and what's outside of you. And he makes the connection, which is where the judge comes. There's no secrets with God. But the wellspring of our hearts isn't derived from what takes place outside of us, but what takes place within us. Defilement and the things that plague our hearts start from within and not from without. As an aside, I was, I was thinking about this uh, this week, and in particular, guys. I was thinking about us, I was thinking about you, uh, because maybe you're like me in some of this, and, and uh, I definitely used to run with this for a long time uh, until I saw it differently. But, but the, the, the thing is, I used to think of sometimes our, our, my heart as something that was more feminine, something that, that uh, can only be associated with emotion. Right? And, and I, I want to help us out here a little bit because it, 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 if we miss some of this, we actually miss the opportunity to address what's within us. And as a result, help explain what's happening outside of us. Another way to say it is if, if you want to understand what's happening around you, you got to start from with what's within you. Emotions are actually a, a really good thing at times. I would say that your emotions matter. And so I don't want to negate your emotions, but they're, they're kind of like the, the lights on the dashboard of your car, right? There, there's, good, there's good lights and then there's alarming lights, right? So like, like when I go to uh, turn my blinker on, right, there's a light that pops up and, and it indicates which direction I'm going from the dashboard, even though I know which direction I'm going, it helps me know and, and affirm that my decision was that, right? When, at night when I turn on the lights, Uh, uh, Whether it's my regular or it's my high beams, there are lights that show up that indicate that something's happening. The same thing is within us. But there are also lights that uh, tell us that there's a problem, right? Like right now, when I pulled into the parking lot this morning, uh, I I have a check engine light on, right? And my check engine light also has three other lights that come with it. And it tells me, hey, there's something going on here, dude. You got to check it out. And, and, and I, I have done that. I have done the work. I, so I know what's going on with my truck. But, but if I didn't, if I didn't pay attention to those lights, that could potentially be a bigger issue down the line. Right? The same is with you and I. You see, uh, with our emotions, we, we want to give our emotions a voice, but we don't want to become ruled and controlled by them. Give them a voice, but don't let them rule you. All right, so let's go back to what's in, in our text. Because Jesus isn't talking about emotions in this text. He's not negating our feelings here. He's not even talking about our heart in the context of emotion and and desire. What what he's talking about is he's exposing the real issue that we all have to face but hate to address. If we're really honest, we all have to face this but hate to address this. And it's the true contents of our hearts. I want you to take a moment with me. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes. And I have a couple questions that I just want to throw out and and wrestle with you. And I want you to be able to picture this on your own. How is your heart? No, really, how is it? What's your heart full of right now? What's weighing on it? What's hurting it? What's giving it joy? What kind of emotional indicators are on? Which ones are you doing something with? Which ones are you ignoring? What's happening outside of you right now? Could it be a reflection of what's happening within you? encourage you to keep that picture with you today. Keep working through that picture. Keep building on that picture. If you have to, come, come back to it. Find some more time to sit with it and, and to build that picture again. Why? Because it, it's actually really helpful to us. and enables us to do something about what we see. Because if we don't see it, we can't do something about it. There's a couple stories that we want to hit this morning and um, help tie some of this together. So uh, I said we're going to start in 7, but we're going to go backwards and then work our way forwards. And so uh, if if you're in your Bible, I want you to check out uh, towards the end of of Mark 6, there's a story of Jesus walking on water starting in verse 45 and you can you could read through that but I'm going to I'm just going to highlight what's happening here a little bit and, and then help us see a couple things. You see because uh, the disciples and Jesus they just uh, got done uh, just before this this moment happens. They just got done with a long stretch of ministry. They were pouring out and giving and giving and giving, seeing incredible miracles and moments happen. And then uh, they, they come to the, the shore getting ready to, to get out and, and uh, come apart uh, and get some rest, which, by the way, it, if you, you need to know this, that if, if you don't at some point come apart, you will come apart. If you don't get away and rest, you're going to come apart. And so the disciples and Jesus understood this, and so this is why they're trying to, De- uh, debrief and get out. Uh, and then as they come to the shore, they, they reach this crowd. And we, we later know this as the, the, the 5,000. And Jesus, having compassion, decides to, to feed the 5,000 and teach them and, and, and speak to their hearts. But then the disciples and Jesus, have to that moment happens, they, they actually get in their boats and they begin to, to sail off. Meanwhile, Jesus dismisses the crowd and goes up to the mountain to pray. And upon the sea, what, what happens is, is, we know the story, the storm comes. And this is the same story, by the way, in, the other, uh, in Matthew where, where Peter walks on water. It's the same story, but Mark happens to admit that. And what's happening is when this storm comes, uh, it's actually pretty common for the Sea of Galilee where where these these violent uh, windstorms and downdrafts would come. And so the the rain that they're experiencing and the storm that they're experiencing would actually be like a tornado-like rain. It's very aggressive. And so the disciples, they're wigging out. And and Jesus perceiving this comes down the mountain. He starts to walk across the water to to meet up with them And, and Uh, This is what happens. They see him from afar, and they start to lose their minds. I probably would too if I saw some homeboy walking on the water. But here's what Mark says that I find just so interesting. He says, and as he, Jesus, gets into the boat, the wind ceases. I would imagine that the disciples start to chillax a little bit. Mark says that they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Consider this moment. They had this incredible ministry, these incredible moments. They're seeing uh, life change and transformation happen. They, they, they just got done feeding 5,000 with, with some loaves and some fishes and had extra. Like that, that would blow my mind to see that happen. Right? And yet, they're in this storm, in the middle of their crisis, they actually see something from afar, and it wrecks them. The disciples missed the point. Why? Because the disciples had more faith in a ghost. And the probability of Jesus being a ghost than they do him as their king. They had more faith that, that what the ghost could do than what their king would do. It's a condition of the heart. And, and when, you, when you tie it together, uh, what, what Mark is getting at with this idea of hardness of heart is he's, he's trying to describe this insensible, callous, unresponsive perception. The perception is whack. In other words, their, their, their spiritual sensitivity is out of whack too. See, our perception is of reality. And sometimes our perception, despite reality, is actually irregardless of the truth. Sometimes seeing isn't always believing. Just because you see it doesn't mean it is the, the thing, especially in the spiritual. Because we can see and perceive something and believe it's true, but it's not necessarily that. Doesn't necessarily mean it is true. And sometimes what we think we see isn't really what it is. But believing is seeing. Seeing is not always believing though. For instance, not everybody who saw Jesus' miracles believed in him. We have, we have scripture now that, that we can easily access. The Bible is the number one sold book in the world. And yet it has an account of all the stories and testimonies and miracles of Jesus. It identifies his identity and and, and highlights who he is and what he's about and how he's for us and how he's good and how he loves you. And yet people still don't believe. What do you do with that? The disciples, they saw him. They walked with him. Perform miracles with him and they still miss jesus time and time again because of their hearts a hard heart limits our perception and it distorts our reality it impacts how we see and hear and know and understand our perceptions matter just like our emotions matter but the thing is jesus isn't talking to outsiders here he's talking to his disciples he's talking to us the other thing you need to know is, is, is it says that they were astounded or astonished. And I need you to know this, that astonishment isn't faith. Having a wow factor isn't faith. It's not your belief. It, it actually is a, it's a big deal. But it says that they, they were, they didn't understand about the loaves. Not about the storm. Not about Jesus walking on water. That, that's what I would be astonished by. How, how did you do that? But they're not even uh, concerned about who he is and his identity, which, by the way, Mark from chapter 1 has been highlighting the identity of Jesus and highlighting his character and highlighting what he's about throughout his gospel so that way we might walk away with the identity of who Jesus is and then believe in him. That's what the gospel of Mark is about. But this tells us something. It tells us that the, the disciples, they saw what is true, but they didn't perceive it as true. They saw Jesus, but they believed otherwise. Hardness of heart. So here's a question. How much of this is a reflection of our own lives right now? How often is Jesus in our circumstances, whether good, bad, or ugly, how often do we still fail to believe in Therefore, don't see. What's that look like in your life? What's the picture that you pictured a few moments ago look like? I want to encourage you, somebody, that Jesus' call out is always a setup for a come up. Jesus' call out is always a setup for a come up. He never calls us out and leaves us there. He calls us up to invite us in. I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's going on. Maybe you're, you're in the room right now and you're, you're all kinds of, uh, feeling all kinds of conviction. You're feeling all kinds of challenge. And, and I want to propose to you, that's a beautiful thing. It's, it's okay. Russell, please. But it might just be the call out that Jesus is setting you up for. a Come up. I want to invite you to lean in. Because Jesus' purpose is to seek and save the lost. He's here to save sinners like you and me. So what would it look like if you, if you just dove in? It's in the crisis of a storm that the depths of our heart is revealed. There's another quote that, that says that it's in the crisis of a storm that the contents of our character is revealed. But I I, I think there's some credit to that, but it, it, it misses the rest, it's the depths of our heart that re, that are revealed in the crisis of the storm. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're in a storm. Maybe you're stuck. Maybe you don't know what to do next. Maybe you don't know where to go. You're callous or unresponsive. Uh, you know that Jesus is for you and you, you hear this. and Maybe you've been in and around church for a little bit or a lot of bit, uh, but you still wrestle with this belief thing. And this Jesus guy, your spirit... Spiritual sensitivity is all out of whack, and you're like, I don't know. Well, a good place to start would be the lights on the dashboards of your heart. Pay attention to what's happening, maybe outside of you, to help expose and discover what's happening within you. It'll make sense. Because what happens within you is far more important than what happens outside of you. Guys, our hearts matter. What's within our hearts, what weighs on our hearts, what plagues our hearts, reflects what it is we believe about God because it's demonstrated in our life. The thing I found so profound about some of these stories, and even just going back through Mark, we've been doing this soap study and just reading through the Gospel of Mark, is that the disciples have been with Jesus. Not like they just jumped in a boat with this guy, like they've been with him for a while. They were learning the words of Jesus. They were living the ways of Jesus. They were learning what it means to love like Jesus. And yet their hearts were hardened because of their failure to understand. There's a pastor uh, named Craig Rochelle uh, who I follow, I love. Um, And and he he said this quote and it's it's resonated and I was thinking about it this week too. Uh, But he says this, never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. A hard and calloused heart will do that. It will cause you to doubt. It will fail to trust. It will struggle to see. It will wrestle to belief. It won't be secure. And its reality will always be distorted. The depths of our hearts are revealed in a storm. But if we negate what is within us, We reject the truth that is for us. So what's the answer? What do we do with this? How do we wrestle with this? I want to give you two quick stories with some perspectives that I think can apply to us. You see, in uh, Mark 7, uh, 24 through 30, there's a story. You could read it pretty quickly. I'm going to, again, highlight some of this and, and give you some bullet points. It's the story of the Syrophoenician woman, or, or we, we call it the, the woman whose daughter uh, had a, uh, was demon-possessed. And, and Jesus and his disciples, they, they finally sail across, they, they get to this town, they enter this home, trying to finally rest. But immediately, as Mark would say, they're confronted by this woman, a Gentile woman who uh, lays down at the feet of Jesus and says, Can you heal my daughter? She, she's possessed by this demon. And Jesus um, is such an incredible leader sometimes because he says something that for some people would be very offensive. But the way that he speaks through love actually highlights something different. I want you to see what his response to this woman's ask is. Verse 27 of chapter 7. He says, let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Wait, what? Like, if I'm that woman, you're calling me a dog? And not like, what's up, my dog? Like, it's like, you're calling me a dog? What's up with that? But she doesn't hear it that way. She doesn't take offense to that statement. You see, just so you know, that this little parable. Jesus was using to solicit her heart. He was getting at her heart. He knew where she was at, but he was getting at the heart. There's two ways you can look at the parable, but the, the one that we're looking at right now is that children represents the disciples. The bread represents the ministry of Jesus to them. And, and the, the dogs actually represent the people, the Gentiles. The other way is you can look at it more holistically as the, as the people of Israel. But he communicates through this parable his purpose. And he says, my purpose here is to teach and to instruct the disciples so that, that as disciples they may make disciples who then make disciples and their disciples make disciples, right? That, that's, the, that's the purpose. And, and he wants to see the replication and the multiplication and we're, we're here today because of that multiplication because he knew his purpose, his top priority. But notice her response. This might mess with some of y'all. Because some of us, we're going to struggle to say this ourselves. Her response is, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. What's interesting is that this is actually one of the first places in in at least Mark's gospel. There's another place in Matthews where somebody hears the parable, interprets it. And responds correctly. The other is the is the story of the Roman centurion in Matthew. These are the two people who, who succeeded at hearing the parable, understanding and applying it to their lives. It's a huge contrast to disciples a few moments ago. Sometimes it's in the simplicity of our words that actually reveal the contents of our hearts. Matthew says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What are you saying? And how does it reflect your faith and what it is you believe about who God says he is? So respectfully, she takes Jesus at his words, which by the way, it's easy to hear Jesus' words, but to take him at his words, that requires some action. And so she takes an action and she demonstrates a greater faith And exposes a deeper condition of her heart. She says, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And sure enough, she shows up at home and the demon's gone. Her daughter's healed. She could have responded whatever way she wanted. She would have been justified to feel offended. She would have been justified to to, to run away and and ignore Jesus from then on. But she didn't. She she doubled down because she knew who her king was. Different than the disciples on the water. Faith always requires risk. Faith always requires risk. And I would propose that sometimes the way that you spell faith is R-I-S-K, risk. But what would happen if you took God at his word? What would happen if you're in the room and you took a step of faith, you took the risk, and you took God at his word to do something in your life that he, he came to seek and save you? What if you took him at that word? People who are desperate for Jesus, for his touch, for his voice, his healing, are willing to do whatever it takes it 's reflected in their hearts because of how they live. I' going to wrap up with one last quick story because this is a response that I think again some of us can take today it 's in mark 827 through 30 <clears throat> We see the disciples and Peter wrestling with this question, which, by the way, we all have to wrestle with this question. We all have to wrestle with it. And it says, uh, Mark says, Jesus went on with the disciples, verse 27, to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked the disciples, what or who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others, one of the other prophets. And he asked them, but who do you Say that I am. And Peter answered, You're the Christ. You see, there are plenty of ideas and perceptions and and positions about who Jesus is. There are plenty of them out there, but but only you can determine for yourself whether who Jesus said he is is true or not. Would you take him at his word? Would you believe what he said? That's your decision. I can't do it for you. And nobody else can. Somewhere along the way, between Jesus' rebuke in the boat, the demonstration of faith by the woman with the the possessed, uh, daughter who's possessed, and now in this moment, Peter's perception of Jesus is different. He and the disciples begin to see Jesus for who he really is is, Jesus is the Christ, he's the Messiah he's the son of the living God and he's for you he's for you what's your perception like? because despite how we might feel what we believe and what we say about Jesus is probably the biggest, most important decision you'll ever make There's a passage in Romans 10. I'm going to read to you because this is powerful. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Scriptures say, for everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Maybe you walked in the room with shame this morning. God won't shame you. He loves you just as you are. Whatever the contents of your heart, he loves you just as you are. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what do you say? Who do you say that Jesus is? What will you believe about who Jesus is? What are the contents of your heart right now? If you step back and look at your life, what's going on that can be an indicator for what you really think, feel, and believe about him. Maybe you're in a storm. What's it look like when you're in a crisis of faith, when you're in a crisis of a storm? How do you respond? How do you wrestle? You feel stuck, afraid, unsure? Maybe you have a perception about Jesus and, Maybe your spiritual sensitivity is all out of whack. You go, Josh, I've never had that. I'm just here. I'm trying to figure things out. You're in a beautiful place. Welcome. But regardless, what, what kind of perceptions do you have about Jesus? Do you, do you trust him? And if so, what are you trusting him for? I might ask you this, the, the question because the woman whose daughter was possessed, all she wanted was a crumb. What's your crumb? What do you want? What are you looking for from Jesus? I want to go ahead and invite the prayer partners to come on up. Because there's a couple promises that we can receive today. But one thing's abundantly clear is that I I don't want you to walk outside these doors without relinquishing what's inside your heart. Maybe you've never told anybody. I want you to know that this is a safe place and these are safe people who genuinely love you and want to pray with you so that way you might see and believe. Come and talk to somebody. Don't do life alone. No matter what the condition of your heart is, there is hope. The Lord promises that you you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your heart. I will be found by you. I will be found by you. Scripture also tells us that if we confess our sins, he is faithful, God is faithful, and he's just, and he will forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us cling to these truths. Let us address what's within us so that we might actually be able to receive the truth that is for us. Amen. Would you stand? I want to pray for you lord jesus you are so so good to us lord jesus you are so patient and kind you are mighty and just you are consistent and true lord jesus we thank you for how you care and how you love us and the conditions of our hearts Lord, no matter where we're at this morning, no matter what we walked in these doors with, no matter what's plaguing our hearts or in our minds, no matter the the condition of our hearts and, the the, the, Lord, just the position that we might have and perspectives that we might have and perceptions that we might have of you, Lord, we invite you to meet us. Would you give us the courage and the, the confidence to address what's within us so that we might receive the truth that is for us? Lord, I ask that you search us and know us and expose what's within. Draw us close so that we might not only believe but see that you are the Christ. Let our response be, yes, Lord. In Jesus' name.